Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of People at Work. I'm Faye, Jostle's content marketing strategist. People at Work is a podcast created by Jostle, a tech company based in Vancouver, Canada. Not only are we the creators of an employee success platform, but we're also determined to find out what improves people's experience and days at work. On our podcast, we chat to passionate leaders who are on the same quest as us. Let's get to it. It's no secret that workplace culture has undergone dramatic changes in the last couple of years and is continuing to do so as we refine what this means to us. In today's episode, we revisit our conversations with industry experts, including doctors, founders, cultural officers, and owners. Listen to how we can design organizational culture to lead change, what it means to build a welcoming culture that supports diversity, inclusion, and equity. You can also find out how you can build a culture based on relationships and not fear. To start us off is our conversation with Jason Richman, the founder and chief culture officer at Ideal Outcomes. He talks about why organizations are at a cultural tipping point. I think right now organizations are at a critical uh, tipping point, if you if you will, if they don't really take a look at um, redefining and readdressing and recommunicating the type of culture their organization wants. I mean, some of the big things that have changed in our world today is, is the, the fear of the unknown um, has increased substantially. So, I mean, employees, contributors, working from home, and, you know, the fear of coming back to their offices and so forth, uh, the fear of new processes, the fear of downsizing. I mean, the, the, the fear of known is, is creating behavioral change in itself. And, and for organizations to be able to redefine and restructure and recommunicate what, what our organizational culture needs to look like and why, I, I think is, is critical right now and, and should be a strategic initiative for any organization. The other big massive change that we're dealing with, um, it's not just the pandemic, but it's the, the external factors that are going on. And this isn't a, a regional a regional influence. This is a global situation where, you know, the global economy, I mean, is impacting um, organizations. I mean, even if even if they're, you know, from a retail standpoint, even, you know, it, it might not necessarily that they're a global company, but they're depending on global companies or global aspects of companies for products and, and services that they sell. So, I mean, our global economy and and you know we have a new element of politics, political, political initiatives that have come into, into organizational cultures. And you, you gotta be remiss if you're not thinking about some of the social equality um, type things that are, that are going on in the world. In the intro, I talked about the passion of, of inclusion and really looking at, looking at things, ideas, people, contributions from every angle. And, and I think right now, not having that element of inclusion and belonging um, and inequality in your culture, I think, is a big mistake. So I think there's a lot of changes going on in our world today that's, that's changing culture. And I think step number one, I think people need to go back, redefine, recommunicate, 
you know, start from the beginning of the process. Shana Pond, the president of Model Teaching, urges us to focus on relationships to build out our culture. Yeah, so, um, so, and to, to that point, I always, I kind of laugh a lot of times when I hear people say like, we're improving our culture and we're going to make that an initiative. And it's like, well, what does that actually look like? Like yeah. culture is sort of the, the byproduct of the relationships that you're developing. And so unless you're actually worried about improving your relationships with people and improving them as people, um, I don't think that you'll ever really get a deep culture. Yeah, so for, for us, that support, would you like me to talk more about like how we specifically work through our support process? Yeah, if you can just give us maybe one practical example. I know our listeners would really like to hear those types of examples. Yeah, sure. So um, what we do when we focus on our training and our learning, um, when we first work with people, when we first onboard them, we're very clear with them. We say, this is, and we'll talk about this later too, that we have a very, very high standard. It's a very difficult job that we have. It's very, it's a lot of work. Um, it's hard and people sometimes struggle with it. And so at the very beginning, we will say like, this is what you're going to experience. This is what's going to be difficult. What are you worried about right now? Is there anything that I'm telling you that, that makes you uncomfortable or makes you worried? And often in our case, since we are working with other people, it's often you know tutors or teachers working with students or it's content developers working with teachers or training them. A lot of times it has something to do with like, well, I'm really worried about this, the, the interaction or how I'm actually gonna put this into practice. So, so we'll say, okay, well, we're gonna sit down with you before anything even happens and we will um, model for you what it looks like or we'll provide a training to you. And we're with them the first several weeks, literally with them, like side by side with them, um, making sure that they don't fall through the cracks. Like that's not a sink or swim type of scenario that we're mm -hmm. like, we're kind of like the lifeguards, you know, swimming next to them as they're kind of jumping into this um, really difficult process. And so we um, purposefully sit next to them literally in the same room or literally nearby and every day we're working with them on one specific thing that they can do to make a tiny little change to improve and that kind of goes into the sport and growth piece that that we can talk about um but it's specific to the very beginning the sort of the fears and the concerns that that people are having because they all sort of have that. And I think the fact that we say, this is what we've experienced that's been very difficult, or this is what somebody else's experienced, or, oh, this is somebody that's worked with us last year, and this is what they saw that was a challenge for them and how they overcome it. Um, they're a lot more likely in the very beginning to say, okay, yeah, I can see that's per perhaps something that's going to be concerning to me as well. Um, so because we sort of share the, the challenges up front that we had, issues with them that may they may as well a lot of times they're a little bit more open and honest about where they need help and then we we give it to them immediately um which i think is also something that a lot of people don't do they they don't actually invest the time to say all we're doing is focusing on you right now we don't care about anything else any of the policies and procedures we just want to make sure that you feel good and that you feel supported and that this makes sense to you and that we're not going to you know, roll our eyes if you've got questions and we're going to, until you feel good about this process, we're going to teach you how to do it. Um, and, and I think starting off sort of that relationship with people kind of opens the door for a lot more trust and, and being receptive later to a lot of the other support that we provide to them. 
Moving on, Dr. Steve Iacovelli shares the benefits of being consciously inclusive so that we are intentional and purposeful in helping others feel like they belong. Diversity is just the, the many similarities and differences of people, period. You know, just how we make up and what, what, what you know, demographic tick boxes are, are kind of part of us. Where inclusion is the, the workplace culture uh, where we want to foster respect, collaboration, and, and connectedness for everyone around us. So, uh, you know, my, a friend of mine, when I first started at Disney teaching this kind of stuff, said that, you know, diversity is being invited to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance. But now what you're starting to see in, in these conversations conversations is the concept of belonging and belonging is where um, it's now turns the focus on the individual and it says now as an individual uh, belonging is the feeling that a, a specific person has that they're safe that they're welcome that their their um, authentic selves are valued within the workplace culture and so smart organizations are starting to understand the concept of belonging and how that relates to the, the greater um, inclusivity of those around us and so with that foundation I kind of jump into um, you know being consciously inclusive as as a leader and, and it started um, I was teaching workshops on unconscious bias and I remember one um, one gentleman was sitting in the back of the room, and you know how some folks are voluntold to be in a training session. You know, they're really not don't want to be there. But this gentleman sitting in the back, folding his arms, and you could just read his nonverbals that he did not want to be there. And we're you know, chatting about unconscious bias, and he's like, he raises his hand. He's like, you know, Steve, if it's unconscious, I can't do anything about it, and just kind of threw up his hands, and he checked out. And it really got me thinking about the phrasing unconscious bias. And, and so I started flipping it around at, at the advice of some, some of my colleagues and really started thinking about it as being consciously inclusive. And then of course, from a leadership perspective, being a consciously inclusive leader. And so it's really where we be mindful from a leadership perspective of how we get others to feel that they belong, going to, back to that definition, through the actions, through the words, through the, the policies, through all the stuff that makes up a, an organizational culture. One of the things that I always think about um, in the workshops that we do, the training classes, even the webinars that we do, is how do you appeal to the introvert and the extrovert? I'm a Myers-Briggs nerd, so this is my jam. I, thank you for asking this question. So I'm always trying to think about, as an extrovert, do I have a, a, a overt or unconscious bias for my same kind, my, my other extroverted friends? And so, yeah, you're right. Zoom is a really cool way for us extroverts to like, woohoo, here we are. We can kind of babble on, and it's really cool. But what can I do as a, as a consciously inclusive leader to include those others who are more introverted? So one example would be before that meeting that we're going to have, I'm going to send everybody the agenda. Um, it's a little thing, but what that does is that allows the introverts in the room to start thinking about what we're going to talk about and, and collecting their thoughts. And because, you know, in the exact same meeting for 20 minutes, our extroverted friends like me will be babbling, babbling, babbling. Well, we're thinking out loud, we get to the, the final punchline of our thought at the 21st minute. Well, at the exact same meeting, the exact same moment, my introverted friends are there and they're in their head thinking through the conversation and they might get to the exact same point at that 21st minute. It's just two ways of processing data and how we get there. So as a consciously inclusive leader, allowing that opportunity to happen. So, you know, pre preloading the agenda is one way. The other is making sure that you give room for those introverts to share their perspective. So during those conversations, as the leader of, of the meeting, or even just as a, someone kind of on the sides, I might say, hey, Bev, I haven't heard from you in a while. Would you feel comfortable sharing your perspective? And, and so you, you might say, no, I'm good. 
which is fine. But what I've done is I've kind of cleared the way um, from the extroverts to give you that platform. The cool thing also too now, and I'm, I'm seeing this a lot with my clients, is and it's almost like I'm doing an experiment. I'll, I'll tell people, especially in smaller Zoom meetings, you can either just raise your virtual hand, you can raise your real hand because we're all on camera, or just use the chat and share your thoughts. And boy, do a lot of the introverts go to that chat. And it's great because then as the person leading the meeting, I can say, hey, I see in the chat that Bev shared this perspective. And that's such a gorgeous way for an introvert to, to share and express their opinions without having to jump over the extroverts in the room who are kind of babbling on. So those are just kind of the top of head things I can think about. But um, I think the technology is helping us really value those different ways of communicating in a, kind of a one little um, uh, nice bundle of joy. Last but not least, the CEO and founder of Mastery Insights, Dr. Grace Lee, teaches us how to design a culture to lead real change. I think there's a few things. I think that the ones that really do get it and change, yeah. they're the ones that, first of all, set an intention that they're going to be open to it. Yeah. Right. And it's accepting that change is inevitable. And I know that's a cliche. Yeah. Change is a cliche. <laughs> but honestly, as cliche as it is, you know, there's this part of us that wants things to stay the same. Yep. Because familiarity is where comfort is, and it's also where we're the experts. Yep. Right? And so there's the ego part of it, but it's also the comfort in knowing that when things don't change, and we've spent the time to become an expert in that field, as long as things don't change, we can be the expert. Mm -hmm. And we can we can make the contribution that we can as an expertise, with expertise, because we're familiar with it. Yep. But as soon as things change, now we're like equal ground. We're, 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 <laughs> we're novices in it. And it can be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right, and there's a learning curve associated with that, and then there's time it takes to establish, reestablish authority, you know, reestablish expertise, and and reestablish your footing in that market. Mm -hmm. Right, so there's that as well, that 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 way of thinking and an invitation to change as a way of improvement and growth. Right, yep. and that's for people who really place a high value on growth, right, growth and contribution. Mm -hmm. Right, the, the as as two of the basic human needs, growth and contribution. Yep. So if those are really high values of yours, as those companies put on their mission statements and their value statements, mm -hmm. right? Then that's when they can really embrace that change. Right? Yeah. So that's one thing. And I think the other piece of it is that if you if you look at looking at the leaders that are in that in that organization, the ones that are open to change are the ones that know what their desired end state are. Mm -hmm. They know what their desired end state is and they're able to communicate it to the company. And the desired end state is could be a moving, could be moving, and it depends on the context of the situation at the time. Yeah. But they're able to communicate it in a way that everybody in that organization makes decisions that align with the vision. Yeah. Right. And if the vision is always one that is achievable, one that is specific, one that is um, context, contextual, and and yeah. and timeless, then change will naturally occur, and they will naturally adopt to it. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you're walking away with a clearer idea of what good culture looks like and how you can build your own to support employee success. See you next time on the People at Work podcast.